My mind thinks about things in unusual ways sometimes. Uh, we're standing at the back. I don't know how many years we've done Harvest Sunday, but we've done it enough now where, you know, oh yeah, it's Harvest Sunday, oh yeah, it's Harvest Sunday, and you kind of think about it. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I, I sometimes wonder, how, how much good does it do? How much good does it do? And then as I was standing at the back, looking at, you know, from one end of this stage to the other, and I was trying to mentally calculate how many uh, grocery carts worth of groceries that is, and how much it would cost Carpenter Place to go buy the exact same amount of food and supplies, and God instructed me, it does more good than you know. And so to those of you who have been involved with that, in any way, thank you. Uh, it's, it's a good work. It goes toward a good cause. Northside is 100% behind the mission and the, the, the ministry of Carpenter Place. And, it, and, it, and today as we think about one another, uh, I think about the good works that Northside does all the time. And there are those in our culture who are, have churches in their targets. Uh, they would like, you know, to remove tax-exempt status. Uh, they would like churches to pay property taxes. They think that's all fair and good. And they say, you know, they've got these massive buildings and, and they don't contribute anything. And, and I think these people don't understand what church is all about. <laughs> they don't understand the amount of good that's done on any given Sunday, especially at Northside when we've got hundreds of people that are all working toward good in some way. And it's not just Harvest Sunday. I mean, you think about this whole season. We've had uh, Trunk or Treat. We've had Know Your Bible Sunday. We've had Harvest Sunday today. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to start the Magi boxes for Pleasant Valley Elementary. Uh, we're going to have holiday baskets at some point in there. And so, you know, again, there are some people who say, well, if your church disappeared, would it make any impact on the community? And I would say affirmatively, yes. Northside does a lot of good. If you think more than just about this time of year, you think about all year long, whether we're talking about Celebrate Recovery. And we have people who come in to the church building that don't feel real comfortable in church buildings. People from our community, people who are looking to recover from something, a hurt, a habit, a hang-up, an addiction, whatever. We have women walking with God. Think about the good that that does within our community. Sure, certainly, as we have over a thousand women meeting in an arena to worship and encourage and be fed and all of that. But now think about what they're doing this year and that they're kind of, I don't know if this is the right way to describe it, kind of franchising it, <laughs> kind of going multi-site, going to allowing people to take the high-quality teaching and bring it into their own backyard, bring it into their own uh, context. Think about the youth group and, and the good that you do. I mean, there, there's one or two service projects every single month doing good. I think they're going to rake leaves today. I, I think there's some, I mean, there's any number of good works that the youth group has been involved with. Think about Titus 2 and men's ministry and prayer pals. And I, I almost just go, you know, I'm, I'm not going to preach a whole sermon about all the good that Northside does. 
And I, I bring that up to say, I, I, it's not really to brag on Northside, okay? I, I love Northside. But, but I want you to understand that there's something within the DNA of a church that's committed to Christ, a, a church that's under his lordship and, and is committed to, to doing it his way. There's something about a church, something within you might call our spiritual DNA. You see, the church does good. We do good within our own family. We do church, do good outside of our family, in the community, around the neighborhood, around the state, around the nation, around the world. We do, we do a lot of good. And the reason for that starts with our, our founder. We do good because Jesus always did good. That's what God's people should be about. Uh, if you're turning in your Bibles, if following along... I always encourage you to do that because uh, you should always cross-check the preacher. Acts chapter 10, Luke records a sermon, another sermon by Peter. And he's, he's really saying that he's had this aha moment where he's now realized that God accepts the Gentiles too. But the beginning of that message in Acts chapter 10, we're on page 1,179, if you don't know where Acts 10 is, 1,179, the Pew Bible. I'm going to start reading, I know verse 38 is on the screen, but let me start reading verse 36. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Jesus, I mean, if you, if you boil all of the things that Jesus did, it really came down to two things. He went about doing good and he went about healing all. Now, healing in some ways was a physical. Sometimes it was casting out a demon. Sometimes it was making a blind man to see. Other times it was spiritual. And certainly the greatest work he did on the cross was a, a spiritual in, act in our good on our behalf. That's what the gospel is all about, that Jesus did good because we couldn't do good enough. Because our good isn't good enough. That's where the gospel is centered on. So you think about Jesus' ministry from the miracle at Cana to his last words at Golgotha. Jesus never stopped doing good. And so as followers of Jesus, as his disciples, we are called to do the same. Matthew chapter 5 is the beginning of Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount, page 1038, if you're interested in turning there. It's three short chapters in Matthew's account, but, but Jesus says something that's powerful and memorable all at the same time. He says, Matthew chapter 5, verse, I'm going to start in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, 
let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Most of you have a cell phone, the flashlight on it, okay? And when I turn on my flashlight right now, it doesn't do a whole lot of good because there's already a bunch of light already on. So you don't really notice that, right? It's only when it's darkest that you notice in the middle of the night, you fumbling around, you need something, and you grab your phone and you turn on your light. Then it's helpful. But the, but the light <laughs> is most noticed in the darkness, So while it's good to have 600-ish folks gathered for one hour on a Sunday, that's not where our light makes the most impact. When when you go to your school and you deal with all of the the evil that that you deal with, you have a choice about whether to let your light shine or not. Whether you're going to let your light shine in the darkness or not. Whether you go to your workplace, and you may be the only Christian, the only believer there, and you get to choose whether you're going to gossip, whether you're going to use foul language, whether you're going to kind of slack off when nobody's looking. You, you get to choose whether you're going to let your light shine or not. It, the, the good that the light does is not about here. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. You see, our good works are not about us. Our good works are about pointing toward a good God. Every time we do good works, we have an opportunity to point to a good God. Turn to Ephesians chapter 10. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2. There's not an Ephesians chapter 10. Ephesians chapter 2. This one won't be on the screen, so if you'd like to follow along, join me. Page 1,252. Now, Ephesians, all of it is deep, especially the first three chapters. And second chapter, I would call the the deepest depth. So we're not going to go through all of it, but he says in verse 8 of Ephesians 2, For by grace... You have been saved through faith. And this is not your doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for, that's important there, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, Christians are not just saved from something. When you became a Christian, we've had three baptisms this week. And uh, when each of them confessed faith in Christ, put him on in baptism, they were saved from sin, from their sin, from the consequences of their sin. That's what they deserved was death and hell because of their sin. And yet through Jesus, they received not what they had earned, but they received something far greater than what they deserved, which is grace. So, does it stop there? Does it stop at the, at the, as soon as they come up and they're soaking wet and we've kind of got that taken care of? Of course not. Christians are not just saved from something. Ephesians 2 says we're saved for something. It's important that we remember that we're called to do good works, but that's not, that's not 
for our salvation, that is overflowing from our salvation. When we consider the good that God has done to us, then good and good works overflow out of us. So this is really important because it's easy to get caught in this trap, and I want us to, to remember it. So because I want you to remember it, I want you to repeat this next slide with me, okay? We are not saved by doing good. We are saved for doing good. That sounded like we just had a time change or something. So let's try it again with a little bit of enthusiasm. I know some of you have coffee. Let's try it. We are not saved by doing good. We are saved for doing good. It's really important that kingdom people be doers of the good, but not to earn our salvation. We're not getting Jesus bonus points. We're not getting Holy Spirit gold stars. None of that. It is as a result of the work that's already been done in us. So we're to do good as a result of that, and we're especially to be about doing good toward one another. Okay? Everyone who does good... Everyone who does good works of any type, at some point, you're going to be tempted. And it's not with a terrible moral sin. The temptation will be this, to give up doing the good. You see, good works are good, but they're also work, aren't they? And it's easy to let someone else do the work. It's easy to just sit back. If you're involved in it and you've been doing good works for many years and you say, you know what? I'm just not there anymore. I want to encourage you in that moment to kind of rethink it. I want to encourage you in that moment to pray over it. I'll be honest with you. When it came to this year's Harvest Sunday... I kind of got a little burnt out. It's tempting because it, it's just, there's a lot of things that have to happen with it. I talked to one of our shepherds about it. We prayed over it. Good works are good, but they're also work. Sometimes it's easy to get discouraged in the work. It didn't have to be necessarily Harvest Sunday, but I'm curious. How many of you are involved in a good work and your heart's not, your heart's not really in it much anymore? You're getting sort of exasperated from it. You're getting sort of frustrated. I want to tell you that when you're in that place, you need to know that I think that is a spiritual battle. Because I think the enemy is always at work, always trying to discourage God's people from doing good work. Maybe something that will encourage us then when we hit times of frustration and discouragement. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. You want to know the context, then... You can read it on your own, but Galatians 6, 9, and 10, the Apostle Paul writes this, Let us not grow weary of doing good. 
For in due season we will reap, if, if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. So, so this is what kingdom people are about. Paul says, let us not grow weary of doing good. Now, how do, we, how do we do good without wearing out from doing good? That's the challenge I wrestle with. And if you're a high-involvement person, you understand the struggle of doing good and kind of getting worn out doing the good. If you're an under-rower and you're rowing and you're rowing and you're rowing and you're rowing and you're rowing, sometimes it's, it's tempting to get worn out and to give up in the rowing. Well, first we need to remember the encouragement from Galatians 6. Second, we need to, to, to remember that kingdom people are, are called to do good to everyone. Okay? To everyone and to one another. Kingdom people bring food to guest lunch. Kingdom people visit sick people in the hospital. Kingdom people make and deliver meals to those who are in need. Kingdom people host wedding and baby showers. Kingdom people visit the shut-ins and pray with people and pray for people. Kingdom people greet guests. Kingdom people practice hospitality with new members. Kingdom people are prayer pals and Titus II mentors and safari guides and know your Bible graders. We have a lot of opportunities for kingdom people to be Kingdom people. But if you're there, if you're, if you're facing just a little bit of struggle in the doing of the good, if you're tempted to be worn out by all the good you are doing, let me finish by having you ask yourself three questions. The first question I want you to ask yourself is this. Am I stirring others up to love? Hebrews chapter 10 is a scripture that you know well, mostly because of its abuse. But in Hebrews chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews in verse 24, uh, verse 23, let me start there, page 1287. The writer of Hebrews says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And this is a, this is a really, this is kind of where I went to when I was thinking about this subject. Most Sundays when I'm preaching, I've already got the sermon ready. Okay, it's, that's, that's ready usually weeks in advance. But on Sunday morning, during part of class time, I go to my office, I spend some time in prayer, and I do a preparation that's a preparation of the heart. And before I pray, I ask myself seven questions. I'm not going to give you all seven. If you want to know, I'll tell you privately. But 
Question number two is this. Do I genuinely love these people? You see, it's really important for a preacher to love those to whom he preaches more than what he is prepared to preach. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this verse I know that you, you uh, know, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the verse read at almost every wedding, although that's really not what the Apostle Paul had in mind. But in 1 Corinthians 13, he's speaking to a church that had, they had lost their love. They had grown cold in their love. And he writes this at the beginning of the chapter. If you're following along, 1,230. 1 Corinthians 13, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. You notice a pattern. Paul's trying to make a point. The church at Corinth with a group of people that had all of these spiritual gifts that we don't have. But there's one that we do have, and it's the gift of love. And he goes on to say, you can do all of these good things, but if you have not love, it's nothing. Isn't that convicting? Have you ever done good works from a wrong motive? Out of guilt or compulsion or habit? The Apostle Paul convicts us here by the Holy Spirit. If I do all the good but have not love, what is the point? And so it's important, not just for preachers, to love the people to whom they preach, but also for all of us, in the good that we do, to do so, to start, as the writer of Hebrews will say, to start by stirring up one another to love and good works. There's a reason he didn't say to stir up one another toward good works and then to love. You don't do work yourself up into a frenzy and get to a place of love. You can't. It's impossible. You'll get worn out and burn out and bitter and you'll stop. We're called to stir one another up toward love and then good works. So ask yourself, are you stirring up others to love? Yes or no? Simple question. Next one will be a little more challenging. Number two, what good works, we start with love, let me ask you, what good works are you involved with at Northside? I'm, I'm sure the 80-20 rule applies almost everywhere. And the challenging part about talking about doing good works is you've got people in the pews, they're doing 80 different things, and they hear this sermon and they think, you know what, Toby's right, I better make it 81. And there's some folks sitting in there and they're doing nothing. They're, they're all on the receiving end. They're on the spiritual gravy train. Boy, this is good. This is nice. Somebody do this for me. This and do this for me. I don't really have to do it. I just come and kind of check the box and sit in the pew. And then I leave and I go and it's great. And I ask you, just as I ask you, are you starting from a place of love? 
Second is, are you encouraging others toward good works? So what good works are you personally involved in at Northside? If you don't have two, uh, that says something. If you're a new member and you're just figuring things out, that's okay. Give you, give you a pass for a year or so. But by, by a year in, you should kind of figure out some ways to serve, some way to be serving, and certainly to do so at a place of love. And finally, how am I encouraging others in doing good? And I think a very simple thing to do here is just gratitude. Who have you thanked for the good work that they are doing or have done? Did you stop? Did you take the time? And they didn't ask me to do this, but this is an example. Luke and Jennifer Campbell coordinated all of the efforts with Trunk or Treat, and that was great. Did you, did you stop to thank them? Did you send them a, a card? Did you send them a text message? They're not asking for that, okay? I, I'm just asking you, when good happens, a good question to ask is, well, who's to blame here? And who can we thank for doing good? There's lots of underrowers, lots of people worthy of thanks. And you know, you might just be the one person that encourages them to keep going, to not give up, to keep doing good in God's name for his kingdom. Okay? So, three questions to ask yourself. Hopefully those will be helpful. May we as the kingdom people be about doing good because Jesus did good. May we seek to do good to one another. And may we never give up. May we keep persisting in doing the good. And may we do so with love. We do good to one another, as I said, because Jesus did good wherever he went. And I want to tell you, if you're not a Christian... I want to tell you about the good that Jesus has done for you. He lived life perfectly, 100% according to the book. Not one single sin did he commit. And he didn't get rewarded by living a perfect life. He was actually crucified a criminal's death. And he did that as an act of good as well. He did that for you. He died for you. You say, wonderful. What do I do about that? Well, the Bible says, Jesus told us, he said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. All right, so that's, that's how you do it. If you want to be a Christian, we need to start with faith, repentance from sin, turning away, and then being baptized into his name for the forgiveness of sins. If you haven't done that, we have an opportunity right now where you can do that. So we're going to sing a song. Our elders will be at the back. And if you're ready to respond to the gospel invitation, the good news, by the way, is what gospel means. It's the good news of what Jesus did for you, and you're ready to respond to that in a public way, and you'd like to put on Christ in baptism this morning, we'd be glad to help you with that. We'd love to move from three baptisms to 33 baptisms this morning. If you're ready, we'll be glad to help you with that. Maybe you have a spiritual need. Maybe you've been doing good, and your heart's not been in the right place. You've been doing a lot of good works, but not out of love. And if you'd like our shepherds to pray with you, they'll be glad to do that. Whatever your need might be, if it's that or any other spiritual need, you can head to the back and meet with our shepherds. Together, we stand and sing.